Good morning, friends. My name is Brian. I'm the pastor here. I'm glad to have you guys today. Uh, I'm also glad we have heat this week. Uh, last couple of weeks, it was a little bit chilly, and uh, they, they ended up fixing the oil filter on the furnace was clogged. But anyways, uh, but yeah, it's great to have you guys here. We've been going through our Celebrate Recovery series, um, and last week, we, we saw that we need to one, believe that God exists, but that's not sufficient, but we need to believe that he cares about us and that he has the power to actually make a difference, to actually change our lives, right? So like, so that's huge, right? And if, if you've come that far with me or, you know, if you're just hearing that for the first time today and maybe you're not yet bought in, that's fine. We're still glad for you to be here and kind of figure this out or, you know, what's this Bible all about? Uh, that's a great place to be and ask questions, stuff like that. But, uh, but that's what I was thinking was since this God exists, since he exists, what happens when I disagree with him, right? Like, what, what, what does that look like? You know, how do I, how do I interact with him? Or, or since he cares, what do I do when I want to live my life my own way that, you know, might be causing harm to myself or making poor decisions, and he cares for my life, but I still want to do my own thing? What, what happens? Or, or since he has power, will I continue to try to, to live my life in my own strength and do things with my own energy and effort and then, you know, kind of reach a place of exhaustion and fatigue? So I guess like that's what I'm thinking about is, is what do we do now, right? What do we do with this belief in, in a God, right? Or, you know, is it just something like, uh, you know, you tell people in conversation, yeah, I believe in God, but does he have like any effect on us, right? Is he actually doing anything in our lives or are we allowing him too, right? And hopefully we know that, that he loves us and hopefully we know that he's given us all things, right? He's, he's blessed our lives, right? He's, he's given us his very best when he gave us Jesus. But how do we interact with God, right? What, what do we do with him? What do we do with this information if we've come to this point and conclusion? And one of the things I was thinking about is, you know, we sometimes try to categorize God or we, you know, and he uses a lot of different terminology in the Bible to, to reveal his heart or reveal what he's like. But, but we can't just, for instance, like, I can't just treat God like a friend who just has good advice, right? Because although God does call us his friends, he's way more than that. He, he's God, Right? And I can't just like, you know, if I had a friend telling me like, you know what you need to do, right? You might tell them in that situation, like, you don't know what it's like. You don't know what I feel. You know, you don't know what I've been through. Like, we can't say that to God. We can't just like brush him off, you know, or ignore his advice, like the advice of a friend. Right? So, so what do we do? And, and the, the issue is that, that he knows more than us. And maybe we haven't come to that conclusion yet, but but he does. He knows way more than us. And the challenge is, do we live our lives as though that's actually true? Right? Do we live as though God truly does know more than us? Because I don't know if you realize this, but I'm not omnipresent. Right? I'm, I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything and I'm not everywhere. Right? Like, so when you go home today, I don't know what you're doing. Right? God's the one that knows that stuff. Right? Uh, but he, he knows more than us. And, and what's cool is he has seen more than us. Right? He has seen every human life that has ever lived. He has seen every life lived out. He, he knows what the, the end result of every person's life has been up to this point. Right? He knows every failure. He has personally witnessed every broken marriage. Right? He, he has seen the end of every sinful life lived for itself. He's seen it all, right? So, he, like, you know, so when we, like, come back with excuses like, yeah, but, you know, I'm going to do this, God, or I'm going to do things my way, like, 
He has seen the outcome of every person who has thought, I'm going to try things my way for a little while. You know, he, he has seen the, the consequences of every person in their 20s that was like, I'm just going to live this decade for me. Like, this is going to be about me. I'm going to find out who I am. I'm going to be a little selfish. Or, you know, these are my college years. I got to, you know, sow my wild oats. I'm going to do my thing. He's seen all of that. And he's seen the outcome of those decisions. He, is, he has seen the pride of emperors. Right? He has seen the foolishness of adulterers. He has seen the persistence of gamblers and addicts. Right? He's seen it all. Right? He's seen every woman who has justified to herself in, in dating like that guy. Right? Right? He's seen it. He knows all of these bad relationship decisions that we've made, and not just us, but every person that has, has ever lived. Right? So, so God has observed every generation that has ever lived. Right, so he's got some perspective. Right? And I, I even thought about this. He has seen the, the stupid decisions that people have made after saying YOLO. Right? I don't know if you guys know what YOLO means. Right? He's seen the stupid things people have done every, every time someone said YOLO, which means you only live once, in case you're not up to par on that. Right? He's seen the foolish things that people have done, like YOLO, like, and then you like, go do something foolish, like... He's seen that, and he's seen the outcome of those decisions, right? And, and he, he actually agrees with YOLO. He agrees that you, you only live once, but he doesn't want us to use that thought or fact for the sake of foolishness, but for the sake of wisdom is what he's hoping. And in fact, in, in Hebrews 9, regarding this one life that we have, this is what the Bible says. It says, and just as each person is destined to die once, I think I've got it up on the screen, and after that comes judgment, right? So each of us will come to a point where our lives on this earth end, right? We're going to die. And the Bible teaches that after that moment, we experience judgment, right? Which I know is like, ooh, I don't want to hear about that, right? Like, I don't, why do we have to talk about judgment? That doesn't sound fun, you know? Or, you know, you might think like, no, 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 no. Like, let's not talk about this because only God can judge me. Right? And that is true in a sense, right? That is, that is true, but he also calls us as believers to warn people because he's made some of his judgments abundantly clear. He's made his expectation known, right? Like, even if I just took the list of the Ten Commandments, you know, like, like it's not like I don't know God's opinion on murder, <laughs> you know? It's like he's, he's made it clear. So it's not, it's not judging, it's, it's kind of like warning someone, like, this is, this is what's going to happen. Right? Imagine if you were to, you know, if you're driving your car and, you know, maybe you're like kind of veering into someone's lane and they flash their lights at you, right? Like they're warning you like, this isn't going to end well for us. Like, please fix this. This isn't going to be good. Or, or if someone maybe, maybe they just passed a police officer around the corner and they're just kind of like, hey, I'm going a little fast, I'm trying to help you out here, right? Like I know the consequences of your decision, right? The speed limit is posted and I'm, just a little friendly warning is, is all that it is, right? And, that, and that's kind of what we see with the Bible or we see with, you know, when people in, you know, in your life, they care about you enough that they might warn you about God's opinions about some of the things that we do, we do wrong, right? And it's, it's just a friendly warning because God, like I said, he's made his expectations clear, right? Just like this, you know, speed limits posted or stop signs are, are posted, traffic lights are all there. Like the law, the, what the standard is, is known, and we can't just like pretend like, well, no, 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 but none of us really know what God's judgment would be, 
Well, we do if he's made it clear, right? Like, I mean, I don't know what your heart is. I don't know your situation, right? Just like you don't know mine, but, but God does. And he, he has made it clear what his expectations are. And you'll find, I mean, you'll find a lot of places that call themselves churches that, that will kind of lower God's standard, you know, lower the bar, or like, well, yeah, God didn't really mean that, though, or, you know, and change, change the rules. And it's kind of like, the way I imagine it, it's, it's like an adult who buys alcohol for teenagers. You know, like they're changing the standard because they're trying to be cool or, like, relevant. Like, yeah, but you'll like us, though, now, right? Like, we changed this. Look at what we're doing, right? And it's not... It's not cool. Like, that's not, that's not helpful. And it's insincere, right? That's, that's not what God would want us to do. But, but going back to God, right, he is, he's more than just an expert. He's, he's more than just a very experienced person, right? Because if, if you say you were having car trouble and your friend's a mechanic and you told him about your situation and they were like, I've seen this a hundred times, like, let me, let me take care of it. I know what you need to do. Like, hopefully you would trust that person's opinion more than your own. Unless you also maybe have car experience and you're like, I've seen it 150 times. I don't know. But, <laughs> but either way, God has got all of this experience, wealth of knowledge. He knows every life and every decision that's been made up to this point. But he's, he's more than just an expert. Right? He's more than just someone that, like, I'm going to go for a second opinion. No, like, he's the only opinion. Right? He's... He's more than just an expert, and he doesn't want to just be a life coach and be like, all right, you tell me what you want to do, and I'm going to help you, you know, achieve self-actualization. I'm going to help you get to where you want to go. Like, no, he, he doesn't want to just be a life coach for us, right? Because he goes way beyond that. And, and not only is he experienced in his knowledge and wisdom and everything that he knows and has ever happened... The Bible says that, that he is the only one who can declare the, the end from the beginning, right? The Bible refers to this as prophecy, that God, he knows what's going to happen, right? And the Bible is full of these prophecies, right, where there's hundreds of instances where God wrote something down and it's historically verified, like it's on, you know, scrolls and documents that are older than the event happened and then that event happens and that's also historically verified, Right? Like with the destruction of the temple or, you know, the Israelites being set free from Egypt and, and the, these sorts of prophecies God makes clear and he can do that because he knows the end from the beginning. But what's cool is he doesn't just know like specific details of important things you might think of like, you know, oh, he knew when the Messiah would come and where he would come and different things like that. He, he, he knows also the future of, of what we might consider like smaller details, right? He, he knows your and, and my futures. Right? He knows what's going to happen next for all of us. And so better than just him being someone with experience, he knows the future. And, and he knows everything about us. He knows our hearts. He knows our secret sins. And, and yet still, he's got a plan for your life. He's got an, an absolutely amazing plan for your life. And, and yet somehow we end up still thinking like, yeah, but maybe I'm going to be the one person where like having the sin in my life is going to really pay off. Like I know it hasn't worked for anyone else in all of existence, but I think I've got a good plan here, right? Like this is going to work out for me. And we're, we're foolish, right? And, and sometimes we end up having to learn through like the school of, of hard knocks, right? Where even though we knew something was the right thing to do, like 
yeah, but I've got to kind of like test the boundaries on this a little bit. And then, oh, oh, that was a bad idea, right? Like I do regret that decision. And then you end up, you know, telling your kids, don't do this. Like mom and dad know. And like, you know, they're going to have to probably learn the hard way as well. And that's what, that's what God does here. He's trying to warn us in advance because he doesn't want you to live a life full of regrets, right? He's got a plan for your life and he knows what steps he would want you to take next. But we can't just treat them like some sort of like, you know, magic eight ball and uh, I don't like that one. Like, and try to like go for another answer. Like, you can't just like walk in, away and ignore where he's leading us, right? When, when he says something, he's, he's sure about it. And he's, he, he means what he says and he says what he means. But I mean, think about, about God, right? Have you seen his resume, right? Have you seen what this guy's done? Right, like, okay, case in point, how about the universe? Yeah, he did that, right? How cool is that? He, like, that's quite the, you know, masterpiece that he's made for us. Or how about life itself? You know, the human genome is equivalent to 3.3 trillion lines of computer code, right? Like, we've, we've got nothing on that with all of our, you know, people at Microsoft and Sony or wherever, like Apple, you, we've got nothing on that. We don't have anything that's even close to that intricate and detailed and thought out. And, and God did that. And not only is he the author of life, but he's, he's also, he also has power over sin and death. Right? Jesus said that he is the resurrection and the life. And that's why he was able to be like, oh, like, I can just like, kind of like step out of death and I'm alive again. Like, you can do that, right? He's able to raise the dead. So, so this is who we're talking about, and yet, I mean, this is, this is what I struggle with. I sometimes feel like I have to try to convince your minds that living for God is a good idea. And the reason I feel that way is because I feel like I have to convince my mind that living for God is a good idea, right? That, you know, when it comes to, like, single decisions, it's like, I don't know. I don't know. Like, and... and but it's not truly obeying God. It's not truly submitting to God unless I agree with him or do what he wants even when I disagree, you know, even when I don't want, right? That's, that's not submitting. Then, like, I'm just kind of taking the Bible and turning it into, like, taking only the parts that I like, right? And that's not being a Christian. That's not following Jesus. That's just like, well, I like Jesus when he agrees with me, right? Like, that's, that's not what we're supposed to do, though. Right, so, so that's what we need to do now is, is we need to take time to commit our lives to him. And this, this is huge, guys. I know this is like a big thing to ask for, but, but if, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I'd really encourage you to make that decision today. Or, or if you are a follower of Jesus and you've maybe not been like all in lately, like you've been half-hearted, Right, like make a decision today to fix that. Like just yield the rest of your heart, the rest of your life to God and just be like, all right, I've been kind of like holding back. I've been holding on. I've been wanting to take this aspect of my life and maintain control over it and do it my way. And just, just, just give it back. Just give it back to him. And recognize that, that no real change is going to happen in us until we're willing to make that step. Until we're willing to yield our lives to him. And like I said, God knows our hearts. In Isaiah 29, this is the Old Testament, and the Lord says 
about the people in that time, that generation. He says, these people say they are mine. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And their worship of me is nothing but man-made rules learned by rote. So, God is disgraced when we're disingenuous with our words. Right? When we, when we want, you know, when we proclaim commitment to God, when we want to live our lives for Him, He knows when our heart's not in it. Right? He knows when we're holding back. And I mean, we all are going to fail. Like, you know, people will try to make like promises to God and they'll fall back and His grace is available, but, but we got to keep running back to Him when we mess up. Right? That's what we gotta, we got to keep doing. So, so we need to allow God to search our hearts and just be like, all right, like, yeah, I kind of took control over that again. You know, I'm kind of doing this area of my life my way, and I kind of took that back. Like, it, we got to yield it up to him. And in terms of worship he's talking about here, that, you know, these people are saying the right things, they're singing the right songs, you know, they're, they're participating in that way, but they don't mean it. Right? Their hearts are far from God. So, like, I would encourage you, like, during worship here, I love it when our church family is, like, singing God and engaged and pursuing Him. But do it out of, out of a genuineness in your heart. Out of true thankfulness for what God's done in your life. Right? For, just do it out of joy for what, who He is and what He's done. Right? And that's why during worship, like, yeah, like, let's, you know, lift our hands up and praise to Him. Let's, you know, clap our hands or... You know, you can sing along, or you can kneel, you can dance. Like, do it, but, but do it from a true heart. Because that's what, what matters to God. Right? We need to commit our life to Him, not just, like, commit, like, our Sunday mornings, you know, or different little things like that, but He wants us to have our heart in it, in the way that we live our lives. And this is interesting, is He doesn't want us to just follow a routine, in, in this time period, right, that he's, God was criticizing them for, you know, like, you're, you're just kind of like doing these religious rituals, right? You're just kind of following these traditions that were man-made traditions at that time. And, and Jesus actually quoted this very verse in correcting the religious leaders of his day, right? He says, you've just kind of packed on a whole bunch of other man-made traditions on top of this that this wasn't even part of what God told you to do. You're just like adding your own rules or doing your own things, and, and he's saying your hearts are far from God, right? And that's one of the things that the tendencies with religion is to just get a whole bunch of tradition going on. And that's one of the things that we've tried to do here at Valleytown is just like boil it back down like, all right, what does God actually want us to do? Let's do that, right? Let's just cut away all of this extra stuff that, you know, man has added, you know, or whatever traditions have been added over the years, and, and in the time when Jesus criticized the religious leaders, it had only been 400 years since the previous book of the Old Testament had been written. The thing about us is that, like, it's now been, what, like 2,000 years since the last book of the New Testament? Right? So, like, chances are, like, our tendency as humans is, like, let's just make a tradition out of this. We don't actually have to do anything for God during the week. We'll just kind of follow this routine, and we're good. But that doesn't actually honor God. So we have to genuinely commit our lives to Jesus. And, and that's where step three, right, or principle number three brings us. It says, consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. 
Like I said, this is a big ask. I'm not going to minimize what this is asking of us. Right? You might not be at the point where you're ready to take that step yet, and I understand I don't want to right, push you. I don't want to like, you know, be a car salesman here. I'm not trying to trick you into making a decision, but, but this is something that we need to do. And this is a, it's an invitation from Jesus. It's an invitation is what it is. He, he put it this way in Matthew chapter 11, speaking about those who would follow him. He says, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. A yoke is like when you, you know, hook up two oxen together to plow a field, the wooden thing around their necks, right? Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. So Jesus wants to give you rest, right? He knows that when we're trying to do life our own way, we become exhausted. When we're trying to do things out of our own strength, we become fatigued, right? Because we don't know what's going to happen next. He knows that we're full of, of worry, and he wants to give us rest from all of those things, right? He, he basically is like, let me team up with you. Let me like... You know, I'll push this weight with you. I will get you through your life. That's what he wants to do. And he's going to carry <laughs> the majority of that, that weight. That's what Jesus is interested in doing. And, and what's cool is he, he says he wants to teach you and that he's gentle and, and humble in heart. Right? So he's not just going to like blast in your life and like, like just destroy your life with the truth of God, which hopefully, I, I mean, I try to be you know, encouraging and true, but also not like, you know, blasting you guys when I'm up here. But, but he, he's gentle in heart in the way he teaches us. And he, he, wants, he wants us to find rest for our souls, which I don't want you to, I don't want you to mix up soul and spirit. All right, soul, the, the word translated soul here, the Greek word is where we get our roots for psyche or psychology. All right, so soul isn't talking about your eternal spirit. It's talking about your, your mind, your will, and your emotions. And he, he wants to give rest to your soul. All right, so he's talking about uh, a mind that is, you know, at peace. Peace of mind is what he's talking about here, right? Where you don't have to carry this worry and anxiety because you're teamed up with the one who knows your future, right? That's pretty encouraging, Right? And not only does he know your future, he's going to like help you carry the, your whole life through to that point. Right? So that's, that's significant in the way that he helps us. So allowing him to help us carry our life's loads means that he's going to help us get through life. He's going to give us the strength to overcome every difficulty, right? to overcome every sin. And he's going to empower us to actually love people, to actually be able to forgive people to actually be able to serve people the way we're meant to. He empowers us to walk out the plan that he has for us because that plan is too big for any of us to do on our own. But like I said, it's an invitation to follow him. And, and he is not going to barge into your life likewise. It needs to be mutual. You need to invite him into your life. Right? Because he, he's a gentleman. He's not, he's not like some, you know, the Holy Spirit's not like a demon that possesses a person. He's not just going to like, like, oh, I'm going to get taken over and suddenly like, 
you know, live a right life. Like, no, you need to invite God into your life. And in fact, in Revelation 3, Jesus is talking. And I'll let you figure out how Jesus is talking in the book of Revelation. You go read it yourself. But uh, he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in. And we will share a meal together as friends. So this is the idea. is like Jesus is knocking on the door of your life or the door of your heart. And it's a matter of like you just inviting him in. Right? He's calling out. He's, he's making a, a sound, but it's possible to just ignore him. Right? Like it's possible to just, I'm going to hide, you know, close the curtains, like pretend he's not there. It's possible to do that. So we have to invite him in. That's what we need to do. And what's cool is, is that he wants to share a meal with us as friends. Right? He wants to be with you the rest of your life, just hanging out. Right? Figuring out your life together. Right? He wants to like, go to Dots and get a coffee and breakfast with you. Right? Like, that's what he wants. Like, let's share a meal as friends. Let, hey, let's talk this out. Tell me what, what's worrying you today. Right? Like, that's what he wants to be in your life. Right? But we need to invite him in. So we, we've got to take the first step. Martin Luther King, I know I'm a week off, but he said this, faith is taking the first step even when you can't see the whole staircase. Right? So, so faith, by the way, it, it's not blind faith. It's an informed decision. Right? God reveals enough to you to take one more step. But he's not going to show you the whole life's plan. Right? I don't think he does that for anybody. Right? He'll just reveal enough in front of you and just say, listen, this is where I need you to go. And then you just get to decide, am I going to obey him today? Like, am I, am I willing to take, take that step? Right? And that's the cool idea is that we don't need to know the full plan in order to obey him right now. He will, he will give you enough information to make the right choice now. And, and I don't know where that's going to lead for your life. I mean, is following Jesus going to mean that maybe someday you'll be a missionary in Africa? I don't know, maybe. That'd be quite the adventure. Like, that'd be pretty cool. I mean, but it, I, I don't know how long it's going to take you to, you know, clean up your life once Jesus is involved. It might take your whole life. But the point is that he's not going to quit on you. Once he starts a work in you, he, he brings it to completion. Right? He's going to be with you the whole way for the long haul. Right? He's, he's there with you. I mean, you might end up in the future having to like quit your job and go into full-time ministry or something. I don't know. It was actually a year ago this weekend when God first started putting it on my heart, the idea of like kind of stepping into this role as pastor of this church. Where I was at a conference with Ben and Zach, and I was just like, wow. And I didn't know before that that this was going to happen. But either way, it's an adventure in God. The most exciting life you can have is one where you're, you're doing what God's called you to do. It's, it's tremendous. It's, it's so exciting. And he'll give you the strength to take that next step. Right? He never asks you to take a step where it's like, I can't make that jump. Like, No, he, he's going to be there with you. So every step of the way, it's designed for you to succeed. That's how he's made your life. Here's, here's a little history for you. This is uh, not my analogy. This is Rick Warren's. But um, in World War II, the Marines had a strategy in the Pacific. Right? I've got a little picture up here for you. And because uh, there was, you know, a series of islands in the Pacific that were occupied by the Japanese and, you know, they were oppressed. And, and the Marines had a strategy and it worked every time. 
And this was their idea. First, their, their first phase was uh, the softening up period where they would, you know, just barrage it with missiles, grenades, whatever they had. You know, just like, let's, you know, just kind of make some mess. And, uh, and some of you in your lives, maybe you've been in that situation lately, right? Where God is just kind of like, you're, you haven't invited him in. So like life circumstances are just like making your life chaos, and it brings you to the point like, whoa, like I don't have control over this situation, right? It brings you to the point of, of humility. And, and because the Bible says that God, he, he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So in order for him to work in us, it can't be like, I've got this God. Like, I'll let you have control of a little bit. Of, no, like he resists that. But, but if you humble yourself and say, God, like, I don't have my life together. Like, I can't do this on my own. I need you. He shows up. The, the second phase that they would have is um, establishing a beachhead, which is what we see in this picture here. And they would just do enough to just get on the island. All right? Maybe it would just be like 200 yards, you know, by 20 yards or something. And it, it, just enough to get on the island. And, and any time they established a beachhead they were guaranteed that they would liberate that entire island. They've never, they've never failed in this. All right, but, but at the time of that beachhead being established, was the island free? No. Right? It was just a little bit. And there would be battles after that, and, you know, they might win some, they might lose some, but eventually that island would be set free. So that's what making a decision to follow Jesus is like that. You're just giving him a, a beachhead in your life, right, or in your heart where your life isn't going to suddenly become perfect, right? God's not going to put you in a bubble where everything just suddenly works out for you. In fact, there may be additional suffering or persecution as a result of choosing to follow Jesus, all right? But, but the point is that once he starts this work in you, once you invite him in, he's going to finish the job. It will never fail, right? He's going to continue and little by little set you more and more free for the rest of your life. So that's, that's what this is about. Jesus, he would, on this earthly, in his earthly ministry, he would uh, just go up to people and ask them to follow him. Right? That's what he would say. Sometimes just two words. And, and like in the case of Matthew, the tax collector, he's just like, they're like collecting taxes from people. And, and Jesus is like, hey, follow me. And then he's like, okay, I guess like I'm going to leave my job. And okay. And he just would like leave what he was doing and, and follow Jesus or with the fishermen like right he would he would just go up and see these guys fishing and and say hey you two follow me and like they would just drop what they're doing and follow Jesus right it seems crazy like why would they do that in the case of the fishermen they did at least have like a previous day's experience uh where they got to kind of know at least who he was but but either way that that's what Jesus invites us to do Right, to follow him, and he is the good shepherd, and following means he's the leader. Because oftentimes, uh, believers still, you know, will do this where, like, I'm going to just kind of do my life, and God, you just keep putting stamps of approval on it. Like, I'm going to do things my way. Like, that's, that's all I need you for, God. And, but that's us leading, right? But he's supposed to lead, we're supposed to follow. And in the context of the culture, when Jesus said, follow me, it was an invitation to apprenticeship, right? It was an invitation to discipleship where he was at that time, right? They would have viewed him as a rabbi and, and if you followed a rabbi, that just means you go where he goes, do what he does and, 
He will teach you, right? And eventually you become like the rabbi you follow. That's how the, you know, that sort of an education worked then. And, and that's what he was inviting is you follow me, you will eventually learn what I know and you will eventually become like me. You'll become more and more like me throughout your life. And so that's once again an invitation, right? God's not going to barge into your life. It's an invitation to follow him. And even though I really would love, if you haven't made that decision yet, I would love for you to make that decision today, right? That, I would just be floored that someone would do that, right? Because it's, it's so exciting to see someone get, like, free in Jesus, right? Not to have to carry, like, these burdens around anymore. But I also want to be realistic. Uh, Jesus told us to count the cost when it came to following him. Right? He actually told a parable. He says, no one uh, builds a tower without first assessing how much it'll cost them so that then they don't like build it halfway and then realize, I can't finish this. And then like they're embarrassed in their community. Or he says, no king goes to war without first determining you know, how many soldiers are on both sides so that if he doesn't have enough, he can then kind of quickly go ahead and negotiate peace and just be like, psych, I was kidding. <laughs> We're friends, right? Right, like... So, so he's talking about count the cost, right? Recognize that this step may cost you something, all right? I mean, Jesus told you his burden is light, his yoke is easy, but it still is going to cost you something. In fact, when Jesus is talking about this in Matthew 16, he said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, Take up your cross and follow me. Then he makes it a little bit clearer in verse 25. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Right? It's crazy. Like, because we're like, you know, even though we're not as smart as him, you know, and even though we don't have as much control as him, we, we'd rather keep control of our lives, even if we're going to like cause damage to it and, and wreck it, than sometimes yield it to him. But notice what he says in verse 24, right? If you want to be his follower, you got to turn from selfishness. A life pursuing Jesus means that you are going to give up on some of your, your comforts. You know, some of the things that you like that are for you means turning away from that, right? And, and we got to be willing to, to walk the path that Jesus walked, right? One of, of loving your, your enemies, Forgiving the very people that sinned against you. And Jesus said that, you know, you might have to carry a cross. And he wasn't just like talking about it like culturally now we've got it as kind of like a, oh man, I've, work was really tough this week, but it's my cross to bear. Like that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about actual suffering, actual persecution that you may endure because he's like, listen, I'm going to grab a cross and walk up that hill and die. Are you willing to come with me? Right? And, and the, the, the very thing that I'm encouraging you to do, the decision I'm encouraging you to make today of, of choosing to follow Jesus may cost some of you your lives. I mean, it, it's not very likely here in America. We're pretty safe right now or whatever. But, but would, you need to at least be willing to let it cost you your life. Last month in Uganda, uh, two sisters, a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old girl, both of them, uh, decided to follow Jesus. And when they got home, 
their father, who was Muslim, he was an imam, and he, uh, he beats them because they converted to Christianity. And he ended up beating the 15-year-old girl to death the day she decided to follow Jesus. And the 12-year-old girl got beaten, but she managed to get away and flee, I guess, a few kilometers away to a pastor's house, and they were in, ended up being able to rescue her and relocate her to an undisclosed village for her safety. But it might cost you your life. Like, would following Jesus be worth it to you then? Because even that girl that died, she doesn't regret her decision right now. She has zero regret about that choice. And in fact, in the Bible, when we see the disciples get beaten, right, for for being Christians, they walk away rejoicing. They're like high-fiving each other. They're like, they thought we were enough like Jesus that they would beat us like they beat Jesus. Like, they, they associated us with our Lord. That means we're doing this right. Like, that's what we want. We want to look like Jesus to the world. And they, they left rejoicing that they could suffer the sufferings of Christ. Right? So it, it might cost you something, but nonetheless, I'd encourage you to follow him even if it costs you your comfort, even if it causes you to suffer, even if it brings on persecution because now you're a Christian and what's your family going to say? It's worth it. And, and one of the things that might bring it in perspective is consider what it cost Jesus to make this available for us. Right? Like the first song we sang, I'll never know how much it costs to see my sin upon that cross. Right? He, an innocent person, sinless life, chose to bear the responsibility, the guilt for our sins that we could in exchange receive his righteousness. Right? He, he, he shed his blood for us. In fact, in Acts 20, there's a passage that, that I end up reading to reflect on that it talks about uh, guard yourselves and the flock of God that he has purchased with his own blood. So like in terms of like my role with you guys, I'm like, okay, like I don't want to mess this up because Jesus bought you guys with his blood. Right? He doesn't want me down here like abusing his flock in some way. Right? He has purchased us back. He has redeemed us by his blood. And he's done that for us. It cost him greatly, but he thought you were worth it. And Jesus said that greater love has no man than this, than that he would lay down his life for his friends. And he calls us his friends. So like I said, I don't want to push you into a decision today, but I would also encourage you not to delay. Right? The first verse that I read from Hebrews, it goes on in Hebrews 9. And it, it says, And just as each person is destined to die once, and after that comes judgment, so also Christ died once and for all time as a sacrifice to take away the sins of many people. And he will come again, not to deal with our sins, but to bring salvation to all who are eagerly waiting for him. So Jesus died that he could set us free. He bore your sins and my sins that we could be forgiven. And he did this once. So it's not the sort of thing of like, oh man, like how am I going to pay for my sins? Or I just sinned again. What do I, I've got to do X number of good things to outpay this bad thing, right? Like, no, no, no. He paid for it once. Transaction's complete. And he's, he's not going to pay for it again. It was a once and for all time transaction that we could be forgiven. 
Right? That's, that's what he did. And that's why he's the only way to the Father. Right? This was the only plan, the only cure to our sin disease that God had. He doesn't have another plan because this was it. Right? And, and that's why the Bible says that there is no other name given among men whereby we must be saved. It's, it's about Jesus. Right? He did it all for us. And he will come again, but not to deal with sins because he's already done it. He, he's going to come again to bring salvation to those who eagerly wait for him. Let's have the worship team come on up. And, and I just want to point out that those who aren't waiting for Jesus, those who aren't excited about Judgment Day, because I wouldn't be excited about Judgment Day if, if I was going to be held accountable to God's standard for the things that I've done wrong. I wouldn't be excited about that day. But the fact that he's made forgiveness available where Jesus took that judgment for us, I can eagerly wait for him. But nonetheless, like it said at the beginning, that we're all destined to die once and then comes judgment. Right? So, like, I don't know when your life ends. I don't know when this might be over, but it'd be important to make the decision before that point. Right? So I'm not trying to pressure you. Like I said, I don't want to be car salesman here. Like, oh, no, this offer is only available for... Like, that's not what I'm trying to do. But I want to be genuine and honest with the situation and with what's at stake. So Jesus offers this. And if, if you're interested in how do I make this step, what does this look like? Because this, is, this isn't my trick to be like, all you need to do is sign up for church membership at Valley Town. Like, no, no, no. Like, you don't have to, like, fill out a check or anything. Like, that's not going to do it. That's not the steps that we take. It's not about dedicating your life and being like, okay, I'm going to now, like, you know, become a poor person and I'm going to do all these good things. Like, nope, it's not, not enough. This is what the Bible teaches. I've actually got it on your handout so you can, if you don't make the decision today, you could at least walk home and read over this. In Romans 10, it says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. And it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the scriptures tell us, anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. It's an awesome place to be. It says Jew and Gentile are the same in this respect. doesn't matter your past. doesn't matter what religion you've come from, what culture. Right? It says that they have the same Lord who gives generously to all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So if I break that down for you, one, it was confess Jesus is Lord, right? Commit to Jesus. And if you're calling him Lord, that means you're basically calling him boss, right? You're making him in charge of your life. And then it was believe or trust that God has raised him from the dead, right? Or elsewhere in the Bible, we talk about that believe that his, his death, his burial, his resurrection was sufficient to forgive you of all your sins. And then lastly is call on him. Call on his name, right? Just pray to God, right? You don't have to talk through me. You don't have to tell me what you've done wrong. It's just, you can talk to him, right? So during these last few songs, I'd encourage you to make that choice just between you and God. And if today is maybe the first time you've ever made that decision, I'd love it if you'd come talk to me at the end because I'd like to connect you with some resources or some good next steps to take. Right? Or if you're a believer that's been half committed, you can get your heart right before God today too. Not that you've lost your salvation, but 
you've got a way better life ahead of you than the one you've been living, maybe, right? So, so we can do that today as well. And let's, let's pray as a church before we go into these songs. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, God, that you love us, that you've given us your son, that we could be forgiven. And that, God, that, that you make this all available for us, and it, it's, you paid the price for us when we didn't deserve it. You call us friends, God. But, Lord, I pray that you would establish yourself as Lord in our hearts. That, God, that we wouldn't struggle to, to maintain control over every detail of our lives, but that we'd be willing to yield them to you, to truly follow you no matter what it cost us, God. Lord, I don't want to just live like this happy American life where I just get to like have everything that I want and then just live for myself. God, we turn away from our selfishness. We ask that you would just be Lord of our lives, Lord of our hearts. And we thank you that you are also our Savior, freeing us from all sin, all guilt, no condemnation, that we can walk free because of who you are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.